that His Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, I, I think we, we want some manifestation, we want some moment, some thing for God to do something, and yet His Word is so powerful and it's so strong, and that's what we're going to end up talking about today. But, but there it is. He says, your, your Word... What you have spoken, because it is true, because it represents you, because your character is unfailing, because you always speak what is truth, because you are truth, the way, the truth, and life. And so when you speak words, they carry fact. They are the absolute truth. And so I think about that even in our moments of darkness, even in our moments where it seems like that things are are bleak and, and we can't see and all that. It's His Word that will become a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We're going to look today at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and this is what it says. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. Then the tempter approached Him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. But he, being Jesus, answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want us to take a moment and pray over the word, and we're going to talk today about but God. Father, thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you that faithful men transcribed that as you spoke to them through your spirit. God, today I pray that you will open our hearts and open our minds to hear your word, to receive your word, and to be changed by your word. And Father, that coming out of this, that this will be a moment and a time of liberation, a time of proclamation of this is what you have said. And Father, I pray that you will change our hearts, our lives, our attitudes, our perspectives today. Our situations may remain the same, but we can be different within them. And Father, I pray that you help us to see that through your Holy Spirit today to do the work, keep us out of the way, keep me out of the picture, God, but let your word and your explanation of your word be such that your Holy Spirit empowers it into our lives so that we are changed by it. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ, and the church together said, Amen. Amen. We look at this passage in Matthew 4, you know, we find that uh, Jesus is faced with this tremendous, tremendous obstacle of temptation, right? He goes out into the, into the desert. He's spending time alone, and he has uh, been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and along comes the enemy. Satan comes alongside and says, ah, I've got him. He's weak. He is physically just stressed to the max, and I'm going to be able to impact him. I want you to understand that, interestingly enough, this followed a wonderful event in Jesus' life on earth. It happened right after he had been baptized by John. He was acknowledged by the Holy Spirit, sending like a dove and lighting on him. The voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
He's just had this powerful moment. It's kind of like his, his, he, he's debuting on the stage. We've been preaching through John, so you remember back you know, probably a month or two ago when we covered all of this where, where he, he gets baptized. But there's, there's this fantastic moment. Jesus comes down to the river. John sees him, remembers, sees him in advance and says, you know, there's the lamb, slain before the foundation, takes away the sins, all this stuff. And he says, that's the one I was here before. I was here to pave the way for that guy right there. Jesus comes, gets, you know, John says, oh, I, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is what needs to happen. This is according to plan. And so John baptizes him, and we see the Trinity then exposed because here is Jesus, the Son, who's being baptized. We hear the voice of God the Father speak, and we see the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove, and you see all three that are there. Powerful moment. Powerful moment. Jesus turns around, goes into the wilderness, starts fasting, and now the enemy attacks him. Now, the reality is, most of you have probably experienced something like this. You, can, we, you could have a great time at church on Sunday, and then Monday shows up, and it's like absolutely all the forces of hell have been aligned against you, right? I mean, they've gathered together. They camped out at your job. They rode in the vehicle on the way there with you. They may have showed up at your house. Now, don't look at your spouse, and don't look at your kids at this moment, all right? Because you're thinking, yeah, I know where they showed up. <laughs> because they may be looking back at you and thinking the same thing, <laughs> Going, man, I don't know how. They were in church, and, and they sounded so good singing, you know. It was standing right there beside me. just sounded like an angel. And now they sound like the devil up in here in the car on the way home. I know that never happens. I, I know that. Look, I can tell you, I mean, I've been riding high on those waves of worship and praise at times and then just have an all-out attack against me when things seem to be going the best. And it had to be what it seemed like for Jesus. You know, he's, he's debuted, he's come out, and now he's gone to spend some time with his father in the, in the wilderness, and he's, he's trying to grow, he's trying to, to get even closer. You know, he's already part of the Godhead, but, you know, he's demonstrating some stuff for us. And, and then here comes this attack. But Jesus responds in a way that completely defeats the attack of the enemy. He completely defeats him. And he goes through a couple of transition steps here. He goes through a couple of things that, that, that Satan tries to get him to do, if you read the rest of the story. But in reality, Jesus just responds and says one thing. And I, I would translate that statement to be this. And it's simply, but God said. Satan looks at him and says, well, if you're this, do this. And he says, no. And he says, well, if you're this, do this. And he says, no. And he says, well, if you're this, do this. And Jesus says, look, I'm not going to do all that stuff. But God has said this. And that was his response. What was written was the word of God. Satan tried three times to tempt Jesus in this passage. But each time, Jesus responds with, but God said. How many times has Satan shown up at your door? In your moment of weakness, in your moment of despair, in your moment where you have felt like, I don't know if I can take another step forward. I don't know if I can just, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Right? 
There's those moments where I don't, I don't care if you're alone or if you're, if you're sitting at home or you're in the car driving somewhere. Let's just be honest. There are those moments where you have come before God and you have said, I don't know if I can keep doing this. God, I just don't know. I don't know if I can keep pretending like that I'm not just totally falling apart inside. God, I don't know if I can keep pretending like that I've got this thing under control because I don't. God, I don't know if I can keep fighting. God, I don't know if I can keep going to that job. God, I don't know if I can keep dealing with what's happening in my house. God, I don't know if I can take one more of those doctor's appointments. God, I don't know if I can do this. That's where we have been. And Satan shows up in that moment and he tells you, you need to take a different path. He's shown up to tell you, you won't ever get over this sickness. Healing doesn't happen anymore. Or at least it won't happen for you. He shows up and tells you, you should just give up praying for that husband or for that wife or for that child or for that brother or for that sister because they're never going to get saved. It's always at that moment. Sometimes when you've been laboring the hardest and you're, you're weary and you're tired from that. And, and, and let's be honest, today's church has made this much harder on the average Christian. We've gained respect in the community. We've improved our buildings. We've improved our personal situations. But yet we see less in the way of healing. We see less of the miraculous. We see less of people in an altar pouring out their heart before God. And I'm not talking about just people getting saved. I'm talking about just people that are sitting in, in the, the congregation that honestly come in and have issues and things that they're struggling with and that they're wrestling with, but yet don't feel and respond to the presence of God. Not that you can't be doing this at home too, but there were there are people that will gather together and surround them and pray for them and encourage them. We see a lot less of that today than we have maybe even in the past. In a lot of instances in churches and in homes, I think the Word of God has been reduced to a self-help guide. That instead of saying Holy Bible on the front, for most people it would be better titled Blessings Overflowing, How to Get More from God for Less. Right? Because it seems like we're trying to figure out more of how can I get more from God but give Him less from me? How can I get God to just pour out and open up the windows of heaven? We, you know, we like that phrase sometimes on TV. You know, we just need to open up the windows of heaven and have it poured out on us. But yet we're struggling to open up the doors of our heart. To open up the window to our soul. To open up and say, God, I want you to truly, I need you. Every hour I need you. What's the minimum that I've got to do to be blessed but still have control of myself? That's kind of where we end up being. And people know less about God's Word than ever. So we're fooled by more and deceived by less. I'm going to blame it on Alexis because Michael went to sleep. But, um, you know, I'm going to say that she kept me up to 1 o'clock the other night. I was talking about learning about God's Word and getting educated about God's Word and all that stuff. Okay, I was the one that kept her up. Let's be honest. All right. But, but we were talking, and, and then Michael, he's over there, you know, trying to, like, hide behind it, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're... She's like, yeah, this is what I deal with. <laughs> we hadn't done one of those in a while. We can't do those stay-up-that-late, you know, things anymore. We could do that when I was younger and they were younger. 
<laughs> okay, we could do that when I was younger. <laughs> the problem is, because we don't know as much about God's Word, and we're fooled by more and deceived by less. That one's a good one for you. We're fooled by more and deceived by less. Now, what do I mean? I think, it's, I think it's pretty simple. Satan is being more successful with his efforts to fool people in the church than ever before, but it's taking less and less effort for him to get it done. Because we're fooled by more and deceived by less. It's taking less to deceive us, and more stuff is fooling us. Because we just don't know his word. We don't know what's there. I've used the illustration before. I remember reading about how that uh, treasury agents, that the way that they are able to detect counterfeit money is they spend an inordinate amount of time handling real money so that when fake money comes into their hands, a lot of times they can fit and go, ah, that something doesn't feel right. That's not right. So you've got to be around the real thing enough in order to spot when it's not real. Because if you're not, you'll get fooled by stuff. Even spiritually. Here's a, here's a truth, and I'm not picking on, on, uh, on people being younger, because I'm going to give you some facts here in a moment that will cover both gamuts, because we tend to only think that, oh, it's these younger generations that just don't know stuff, right, about the Bible, because we all think we know. I do think at times church was, you know, we learned a lot more things, uh, you know, depending on how it went, if you grew up in church, there's a lot of stuff that you, that you learned and all that. That doesn't mean any of us applied much of it. Well, I'm sorry, don't know if people don't want to amen that, but just because we know stuff, you know, knowledge does, we say knowledge is power. Well, it's really not if you don't know how to use it. Knowledge is only power if you got the wisdom to know how to apply it. A lot of things that we know, I've seen people just be near stoned out of their mind, just drunk as a skunk, and they can quote Scripture to you better than people in church can. They know it, but the inability to apply it. All right? Here's a problem. When generations that are coming up know less about God's Word than they knew, do about Snapchat and Facebook and, and whatever else you want to throw in there, Photoshopping pictures, how to use the latest computer software, they can rattle off everything about every game or anything else, then what do you think new believers are getting taught? But here's the thing. Who's, whose fault is that? Well, I probably ought to move on a little bit. I want to share some research statistics it's one thing for us to complain about what people coming up don't know about God, but I don't know who it is we think was responsible for teaching them. Well, it's probably those that are complaining. Well, not a lot of amens on that either. I'm sorry. Here's some facts from George Barna. Only 67% of people aged 18 to 25 believe that the Bible is a holy or sacred book. 56% of this age group believes that the Bible, Quran, and Book of Mormon all teach the same truths and agree with each other. But only 45% of those aged 45 to 63 believe that. You say, well, hey, see, so only 45%. 45% of people aged 45 to 63 believe that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all the same. 29% of those aged 18 to 25 had spent time alone where they prayed and read the Bible for 15 plus minutes in the last week. 15 minutes in the whole week. Only 43% of those aged 45 to 63. How can you know something that you don't spend any time in? Just because you're married doesn't mean you know your spouse if you don't spend any time with them. 
Well, I'm going to get in trouble if I start talking about marriage. Only 27% of those aged 18, 25 believe that the Bible should be taken literally. And only 23, look at that. Only 23% of those 45 to 63 years old. Understanding that there are various different types of writing in the Bible. There's poetic stuff. There are metaphors. There are various things in there. That's not, we're not talking about, oh, you, you're supposed to read everything in there and every metaphor you're supposed to take literally. That's not, that's not what they're saying. It's just, people go, ah, you know, I don't really think that, that stuff applied. I don't think that really was, was meant. That, I, think, I don't really think that there was John and a big fish. I think that was just some kind of story he was telling. That's about not taking things literally. So because of those kind of facts... A lot of people have an extremely weak foundation on which they're building their spiritual lives, and so they can't spot the original from the fake. They can't spot what's wrong. So Satan comes, and he gives you his perspective on what's happening in your life because he's trying to convince you that you ought to see it that way. That's a lot of what's going on. He, he comes along, and he says, Oh, look at what's happening in your life, and this is how you should perceive that. And so when you start thinking things like, well, God doesn't hear me, God's not listening, God doesn't care, all those things, that's not coming from God, I promise you that. Because the Bible says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that even while we were yet in sin, that God demonstrated His love toward us. So, so definitely, you over here followed Him. I mean, He didn't all of a sudden decide, well, you know, I'm just not even going to love you as much as I did when I, when, when I sent my son to die for you and you were in sin. Satan comes along. He tries to give you a perspective. says, this is what you ought to see. And he tried it with Jesus. So don't be surprised if he tries it with you. Right? If he's going to show up with Jesus and go, hey... We used to hang out in heaven back before you booted me out. I mean, by the way, he wasn't looking at Jesus saying, you know, if you're the son of God, come on. He knew he was the son of God. He's been in heaven with him. It's not a question. It, it's ridiculous. The argument's ridiculous to begin with because, I mean, can you imagine Jesus kind of sitting here and, and Satan walks up and goes, hey, bro. If you're the son of God, and Jesus is like, what's up with you? You know my dad. You've been to our house. <laughs> we kicked you out. <laughs> and you're saying, if I'm really the son of God, I ought to do this. What, are you, what game are you trying to run here? But that's what Satan kept trying to do. He kept trying to convince him, you need to think about it. Jesus has still got all power, all authority. He talks about that. All power and all authority under heaven has been given to me. Satan says, if you do this, I'll do this for you. Really? <laughs> the whole time it was a lie, it was a charade, it was a deception. But Jesus was able to withstand it because he knew God's perspective. He knew God's perspective on the situation. I find this throughout the Bible. I find throughout the Bible that great victory occurs when people recognize the current situation and they stop and they do what Jesus did and they say, hang on, but God said this. I'm hearing what you're saying, but God said this. I want to give you some examples. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God 
demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were in sin, but God. We were in sin, but God showed His love by Christ dying for us. All the way back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. This was Joseph when he's speaking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery and lied to their dad and told them, no, no, he got killed by some wild animal. Look, we cut, they cut up his coat and put blood on it, made it all look like that, that he had been killed. Joseph recognized there was an earthly perspective. You meant evil. But then he recognized there was a God perspective. But God stepped in and meant for this thing to happen this way. Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, I love that in the Psalms. My flesh and my heart fails. Listen to that. If you don't get that, there's something powerful there. He says, physically, I'm spent. And emotionally, i got nothing left. They're, they're failing me. In, in what I know probably should be right, my flesh just can't get there, and my heart is, I'm emotionally spent. My, my, all my thoughts, all my feelings, everything is saying give up. He says, but God. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, God is the strength to rebuild my emotions and He feeds me. He's my portion to rebuild me physically. He addresses both of those things. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He says, hey, the stuff that's going to come against you, the stuff that's going to tempt you to walk away from God, the stuff that's going to tempt you to say, I just don't believe that God cares anymore, the stuff that's going to tempt you to say that there's just no way to get through this. He says, all of those temptations are common. He doesn't say they're not temptation. He doesn't say they're not powerful. He doesn't say they're not strong against you. He says, but they're common. You're not alone because what does the enemy come and speak into your ear all the time? No one has ever gone through this like you are. No one has ever experienced. No one has ever had it happen this badly to them. You're all Because why? He wants to cut you out from the herd. He wants to get you away from the group because if he can isolate you and then he can get you where you're off. And psychologists and psychiatrists know this stuff. When somebody starts withdrawing and they, and they get where they're all alone and they isolate and, and then all of those thoughts start coming in their head because there's no one around them then to encourage and to help speak truth into their lives. She says, hey, know that you're not alone. We sing that song and Haley sings it, and I, I, every time I hear that, when I walk through deep waters, I will not be overcome. Why? Because I am not alone. But God. 
No temptation is overtaking you except something that's coming. But God is faithful. You guys have often heard me say, we, we misread this scripture because we go, oh, see, God won't put more on you than what you can bear. That's not actually what this scripture says. This scripture says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but then explains what that means. Because with the temptation, he'll also make a way of escape so that you will be able to bear it. Because if he didn't provide the way of escape, it would be more than you were able to bear. It is not that the situation is not more than you can bear. It's that when the situation comes, he will provide a way of escape. Therefore, you can bear it because you will not have to endure it to some extent. Now, that does not mean that God's not going to keep you from dying. I think it's unfair and I think it's ungodly when people stand in a hospital or whatever else and say, Oh, I know they've told you that it's terminal. I know they've told you this, but God's not going to put more on you than what you're able to bear. I've, never, I've not met one person. I've not met one person that's 700, 800 years old because God just kept you know, removing the sickness and removing the, 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 the degradation that happens in our bodies and, and all that. Just, I've never met anybody like that. I've told you before, we tend to think in the very minute. We think in this time frame, and God thinks for eternity. God looks and says that, hey, when you come and you stay with me at my house, there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow. He'll wipe away the tears because this corruptible will put on incorruptible, and this mortal will put on immortality. I, I, I have no problem standing and telling somebody, I will pray for God to heal because I believe that God can heal. And I believe the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to go very hard. You can tell me you don't believe in healing or whatever. That's fine. You believe what you want to believe. I, I just try to tell you what I think is in God's Word. But I can tell you, this is a conversation somewhat tied to the conversation that uh, Alexis and I were having the other night. Um, it just, I thought about this later. It's, you know, I've, I've told you guys a story. My grandfather, my grandfather was, was, uh, and had a, a disease that had basically eaten most of his stomach up. They, they, he was going to pass at some point. Uh, this is way before I was ever born. And, um, and he just he was out praying. As he liked to say, he's passed on to be with the Lord now. But as he liked to say, he was out praying in the pine thicket. He was praying in the pine thicket. He had about a second or third grade education. Actually couldn't read. Um, stopped and went to work in the CCC camps. And... and uh, Cutting roads and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but he was out praying in a pine thicket. God. He would hurt. The police would find him. He would be pulled over on the side of the road because he'd get to hurting so much he'd be doubled over. And he couldn't drive. And they knew. And, and police officers would pull up. And they would, one would get in the car and drive his car home. And they would make sure. So they, they knew him. And, and he's praying, God, I just, I just want you to heal me. And, and, and he just felt impressed by God. You take it for what you will. He, he just felt impressed by God to go to what at the time was a 17th Street Church. It uh, became Harvest years later, years and years, years later. But went to 17th Street Church. Said God, God told him, said, there's a guy there. He just felt impressed with this. There's a guy there. They're having a revival. He didn't really know they're having a revival. So they're having a revival, and you go there, and, and this guy's going to pray for you, and you're going to be healed. Just telling you the story. I mean, there's medical fact on it. So, um, so he goes, and 
the, the old 17th Street Church used to be, I, I haven't been in it years and years and years since I was a little kid, but 17th Street Church used to be where that there were some stairs that came up there near the platform. And, uh, and this, this minister that was there preaching this revival was downstairs praying. He was praying after they had already started singing. And they all went in, my, my, my grandfather, my grandmother, and, and what would have been my great-great-grandmother, my, my grandmother's mother. They go in, and they're sitting near the, near the back, and, and uh, all of a sudden this, this preacher comes up during the middle of the service and says, I was down praying, and said, God just impressed on me that there's somebody that God told you to come here tonight and that we were going to pray and that you were going to be healed. There wasn't 10 people that got up that was, oh, yeah, hey, that was me. Grandfather gets up, goes down. Guy prays for him. Now, I'm sorry, this probably this may bother some of you. You know, you'll be okay. Still, just love me anyway. It's, I'm just telling you the story. I, you know, this preacher, <laughs> this, this old school church now, this is some old school church. This preacher prays for my grandfather. He gets done. And he says, it's your stomach, isn't it? My grandpa says, yep. And he says, I'm going to hit you in the stomach. <laughs> All right, now, I, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what, you know. And he's like, All right. God told him, you know, he's going. And said, The God, you know, boom. Him in the stomach. And he said, Man, he said, if you'd have touched his stomach when he was, he'd been terrible. He said, Man, he was just praising God. And, and, uh, he said, it didn't hurt. Nothing, nothing. Church gets over. I'm giving you the mild, tamed down version of this. Um, church gets over. They go home. My grandfather loved collard greens, cornbread, milk. You know, he'd take cornbread and pour, pour buttermilk in it, you know, and all that stuff. He couldn't eat that kind of stuff. He couldn't eat that kind of stuff. He goes home and he tells my momma, because that's what we call my momma. He tells us, says, I want you to fix me some collard greens and some cornbread and some buttermilk. She said, now, Curtis, you know you can't. He said, God's done healed me. She fixed him up collard greens, cornbread. He sat there and ate it, went back to the doctor. The doctor said, we don't understand. We've been doing all these tests. We've been looking. We don't understand. It's as if there has never been anything wrong with your stomach. You ain't got to believe it. You don't have to. He's dead now, so he can't tell you the story. I just have to tell it myself, you know. I could tell you the story of my dad. My dad had a hole in his heart when he was born. Couldn't get out. Couldn't run and play and stuff with, with other little kids. My, my, uh, my, my family on that side was raised in a different church. They didn't really believe in praying for people to get healed and anything like that. And so... But they were desperate because he just couldn't get out and do. He couldn't do things like other people could. And, and they said, we're, we're, they'd heard about a, a church. It was Tallapoosa over there. And they said, we're going to take him to this church to a revival. They prayed for him. He was, he, was, he was young. They prayed for him, took him back to the doctor. The doctor said, it's gone. It's just gone. He's still pastoring church, preaching the gospel. He's preaching right now. 1127, he's preaching. He's preaching right now. I know he is. 76 years old, still preaching the gospel. Had a hole in his heart, couldn't run, nothing else. He's out there preaching the gospel, 76. God is faithful. 
God will provide a way of escape. God will do things for you that no one else can do. So I don't have a problem with standing and, and telling somebody that, that I believe and I'm going to pray for God to heal. But I also don't have a problem standing and saying, but if God's plan is for Him to receive more glory because of your obedience and your faithfulness during this, then even though in the moment it is an affliction and it is hard and it is difficult, but yet God will see us through because in the end, even if we pass from this life, then all healing will occur. Some people say, oh, that's just a way of you escaping being ill. No, I'm just telling you that it's God's plan, that sometimes God chooses to heal because that's what brings the most glory. Other times God, through the faithfulness of people and Him sustaining people through things. We see that even in the Scripture when it says, hey, I had this thorn in the flesh, right? And I prayed three times for God to remove it. And He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it because my grace is going to move you through it. The last one. Speaking of Epaphroditus, it says, For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus was just sick. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, said, Hey, he almost died, but God had mercy. Here's what I want you to understand. For every situation, every situation in your life, Every change and every charge that the enemy makes against your life, your family, your job, your church, there is one response that's shown to us by God Himself through Jesus Christ. And here it is. I'd get this out where I can see the whole list here because, man, I get excited when I start reading this list. I'm just telling you, I don't want to have to be flipping pages during that. Here's, I want to give you a list of what but God statements are in there. Here's what the enemy says. The enemy says you're a loser. But God says you're made more than an overcomer. The enemy says you'll never be good enough, but God says you've been made righteous through Christ. The enemy says you can't do it, but God says you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. The enemy says you're not talented enough, but God says it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The enemy says you don't know enough about what to do, but God says the steps of a righteous man are ordered to the Lord. The enemy says I can take you down and make you turn back, but God says submit to me, resist the devil, and he'll flee. The enemy says your kids will never be saved, but God says train up a child in the way they should go, and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. The enemy says God can never use you. Look at your past, but God says your sins are cast in the sea of forgetfulness. Though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. The enemy says you don't look good enough, but God says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The enemy says you're not wealthy enough, but God says everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. Though you have no money, come, buy, and eat. And the enemy says you'll never be really free, but God says he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So the enemy's coming and saying stuff to you, but I think it's high time we go back to defending ourselves against the attack of the enemy with the truth. And the truth is the word that God has spoken, period. No matter what the enemy says. No matter how he comes against you, no matter what anybody around you says, what matters is but God said. What has he said? What has he promised? What has he demonstrated in the word? Here's the truth. Today 
you may have a situation in your life where the enemy has just been relentlessly attacking you, telling you words of despair and defeat. You may be anywhere in the process of responding to this. You may be into first stage where you've just come under attack and you're keeping him at bay for the moment. He's coming at you and he's proclaiming this and he's proclaiming that and you're feeling some stuff, but you're kind of you're keeping him held off for the moment. Maybe you're in that spot where you've been wavering a little because the constant barrage is just sort of wearing you down, Right? It's kind of like when your kids are just, they keep coming back and they keep coming back. And finally you're just like, okay, fine, do it. Right? But the enemy comes against us that way. It's like day after day and moment after moment and everything you see on a billboard on the side of the road, everything that comes on the radio, everything that somebody says, even unintentional, comes along. And it's just like the enemy is using that and he's attacking and, he's, and you're just wavering. You're just wavering because you've just been beat up so much with it. Or maybe you're just in that state where you've finally just given in to despair and you feel defeated. Regardless of where you are on that spectrum of response, God wants you to know today that the final word has not been spoken yet. Until you look at your situation... And you're able to say, but God said, and it isn't over, and the battle isn't lost. And when you look at your situation and you proclaim, you find in God's Word, this is why His Word is so important, you find in God's Word and you see what has been spoken about these situations and the one that you're in, then you need to stand on that promise and you need to believe that God is true. Now, it doesn't always mean that you're going to go find something in God's Word and you're going to be able to go, well, I got this exact thing going on and God's Word addresses exactly that. It's usually not the case, right? What it is, is it's a case of it explains who God is. It explains what God wants to do in general in your lives and we've got to stand on that truth even while we're waiting on Him to reveal what that's going to look like. When He says that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, when he says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because I'll be with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. I'll, I'll make you to lie down in green pastures. I'll lead you beside still waters. I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I'll anoint your head with oil. And sometimes we've just got to begin to take God's word and even pray God's word. Because there are times where I don't know what to pray. I'm sorry if you're thinking, you know, oh, hey, if you're the pastor, you ought to know exactly what to pray all the time. I'm sorry. God didn't all of a sudden, you know, just transfigure me into something that was just, you know, whoo, you know, called you to preach and it's like, whoo, all your stuff went away and now you just have this aura about you or what? No. Yeah, God calls you and he anoints and all kind of stuff for but man, there's times where I don't know what to pray. I just have to go to God's Word. I just have to start praying, God, you said that you would never leave me nor forsake me. God, it feels like that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It feels like this thing is just about to kill me. But I know that your word says that I don't have to be afraid because you're with me. Even if I don't feel like you're with me, even if my emotions don't tell me you're with me, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. So I know you're here. 
I know you're here. I know that the psalmist, and I'm going to claim that thing that the psalmist said, I well nigh slipped, but your right hand upheld me. God, I, I, I don't even feel like you're there, but I know that just like a parent that comes alongside and the child doesn't even realize that you're, you're just following right behind them and they go to slip and you catch them in that moment. I know, God, that you're there even when I can't feel you, so I'm going to stand on the truth of your word. My emotions are betraying me. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Get me where I can rise up above this stuff that's coming against me. And God, I'm going to stand on that truth. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know exactly how you're going to do it. But I'm going to stand on the truth of your word and believe that you are who you are. Because God said. And so God, I look at this situation and I know that I don't have to fear because you're going to be with me. Your rod and your staff. What is he really talking about there? I'm not jumping into Psalm 23 for a moment, but what is he really talking about there? He was talking about both the correction and the saving. Because the shepherd would use that shepherd's hook. He, would, he, could, he could use it to kind of move into where they needed to be, but he could even use that crook on the end where he could get them and he could pull them back from places they shouldn't be. So God, your rod and your staff... I know that they'll, they'll protect me, they'll lead me, they'll guide me. And then you're going to take and you're going to lead me not to the turbulent waters, but beside the still waters. You're going to make me lie down in green pastures, places. It's so places of calmness and places of provision. And then even though I may be in, surrounded by enemies, you will prepare a table for me and you will provide and you will feed me and you will nourish me even in the presence of my enemies. You'll anoint my head with oil. You'll put blessing on me. You'll pour out on my life. Even when I feel like I'm surrounded by my enemies. He didn't say I'm just going to pluck you up and take you out of it. But he says I'm going to come and minister to you in the middle of it. And your enemies won't even be able to understand why we're trying to attack him. And God's providing for him right in the middle of the battle. Why? Because the enemy is saying, there's no way he's going to succeed. We're going to take him down. We're going to wear him out. We're going to get to him. But God said. The enemy's coming and saying, oh, I'm going to throw this against. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring these people against. But God said. People say, well, I don't understand because, I mean, that, that's not powerful enough. That didn't change my situation. That didn't change... Look, man, it's just the way God's chosen to work. Jesus looks at Satan and says, man will not live by bread alone. He doesn't say man won't live by bread. If you don't eat, at some point you're going to die. He says man won't live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. You want to know what your weapon is? I hear people say, well, you need to praise your way out. You need to worship your way out. Hey, I'm all about that. You know, I'm all about some, you know, I'm a musician. I love some praise and some worship and all that. But at the end of the day, the Bible is a powerful weapon because it is God's word. It is truth. It does something powerful in us when we speak it, when we read it, when we claim it, when we understand it, when we hold on to it. 
We said, this is what God's Word says. Even if I'm struggling with it, even if I'm wrestling with it, even if I'm having a hard time, I kind of want to be like that guy who, who asked Jesus to do some healing, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm going to speak your Word. Even though I'm struggling with it, I'm still going to speak it, and I'm going to stand on it. I got a song that's fixing to play in this slide. It's probably going to mess you up. Right? Probably going to mess you up. Because I want you to listen to, to what is in it. We're going to, we're in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to close our eyes, we're going to bow our heads, and I'm going to preface this, though, and get you, get you ready, because this is one of those moments. If, we, if we're ever going to have a moment where you're going to need to be in a, coming down and be willing. They done made these nice cushions for you. These ladies, they worked on these a couple of Sunday nights. Look, if this, is one of those, this is one of those moments where, man, if you got stuff going on in your life where you feel like you're under that kind of attack, I don't care whether it's just come at you or whether you're at the point where you're saying, I'm, I'm pretty much about to throw the towel in and give up. I'm done. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't care where you are on that spectrum. This is one of those moments where you need to allow some of your church family to come alongside you and pray with you. They're not going to come up here. If you come to pray during this time, they're not going to come try to figure out what it is that's going on with you and asking you, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're just going to come pray with you. Because now is the time. Now is that moment where if you're going through that, that you need to pull into the body, pull into the faith community and allow people to minister to you and, and to just pray with you. Because more than ever, in those moments, we need to stand together. I would challenge you that if there are people that come up to pray and you come alongside them to pray, this is where you need to be thinking back through what the Word says. You ain't got to know all their, you don't need to know their details to pray what God's Word says. You can pray the truth out of God's Word that, that God's, gonna, God's going to provide, that God's going to minister to, that God's going to do all of these things. You just work, work your way through God's Word that you know. And I promise you, you speak the truth of God's Word and pray it over people. God will honor what He has already said. I want you to bow your, eyes, or bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll get that right. I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then I'm going to start this up. And you're going to hear this song. Because what God has done before, God can do again. He's moved the mountains. He's done things in people's lives, and I promise you, God can do it again.